I'm telling you that there have always been in the corporate worship of God's people a collection of voices trained to lead in worship, and that's never going to change. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What resources does the Bible allow to be used for music and worship? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom continues his current series with part seven of Recovering a Lost Legacy. Tom is examining how today's Christian church has largely abandoned many of the foundational elements that define its long legacy. Today, he continues the study of music. The scripture shows how God has prescribed several resources that enrich and support music in worship. Various musical instruments, orchestras, choirs, vocalists, music directors, and congregational singing. Today, Tom gives in-depth evidence from the Old Testament that consistently prescribed musical instruments to worship God through music. The question is, does it still apply in today's church here in the New Testament era? Let's find out as Tom opens God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. So we're looking at what are some of the elements, not all of them certainly, but what are some of the elements of that legacy that have been lost to the church of Christ? And we started by looking at the legacy of expository preaching. The fact that that has been largely abandoned in our day, and yet that is a legacy that goes all the way back to Moses, and we traced it through the Scriptures and, of course, through church history. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been examining another of those lost legacies, and that is the legacy of music in worship. Now, I don't mean that there isn't music in many professing Christian churches today, but I mean what the Scriptures teach about music, its place, how it's to be done, in what spirit, with what attitude, and by whom, all of those things have sadly, tragically, largely been lost. Scripture provides us, as we've been learning, several essential insights into this issue of music and worship. Let me just remind you of where we've been so far. We've looked at a biblical critique of music in worship, what are the problems today, and then in the points that follow, we've been, we've been seeing the Scripture address those issues. We looked at a biblical history of music, the biblical priority of music in worship. Last week, we looked at the biblical purposes of music in worship. There's a personal purpose to remember the truth. There is a horizontal purpose to teach one another and admonish one another, as Paul puts it. And there is a vertical purpose, of course, to worship God, to express our praise to Him. We also considered last week the biblical types of music in worship. Let me just remind you that we considered the issue of music styles. This is where a lot of the the culture wars happen in the church today. And let me just tell you what we concluded again. Scripture nowhere says or implies that God forbids the use of any music style in worship. In fact, 
the style of music in a church that it uses in worship is an issue of conscience. That is the collective conscience of the elders of that church. Just as you make decisions individually, and if you're head of a home, you make decisions of, on issues of conscience in your home, the same thing is true in each church. The elders of that church are responsible for those things the Scripture doesn't directly address to make those decisions, and we have done that here. We considered also music lyrics. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul identifies three types of lyrics acceptable in worship. Psalms, referring primarily to the Old Testament Psalter and to the later songs that arise directly out of its poetry or that use the Psalms as a kind of pattern. Hymns, those are songs that set forth truths about God and that are usually addressed directly to God. And then spiritual songs. These are neither psalms nor hymns, but still have a biblically solid spiritual message, and they are appropriate to be sung in the worship of God. Now, we discovered from those three biblical types of lyrics that the lyrics of our songs must be biblically based and they must be biblically balanced. We looked at that in detail. They must be balanced between Old and New Testament revelation, between our subjective feelings and response to the truth and the objective revelation of God, and between old songs that are part of the legacy that have been handed, been handed down to us and new contemporary songs. And we discovered that, that those, those realities are not based on the elders of this church and our our own wisdom. They're not based on our you know, decision to try to keep everybody happy. Instead, it's based on the Scripture. We saw that these concepts were true in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that the people of God sang old songs that had been handed down, and they were also writing and singing new songs in the New Testament era as well. So that's what that's what we have tried to do in, the, in our church. Now, that's where we've been. Today, I want us to finish our study of this issue of music considering two additional insights, but let's begin with this one, the biblical elements of music in worship. The biblical elements of music in worship. You see, God not only commands that music be part of worship, but He prescribed resources that enrich and support that worship in music. Resources like musical instruments, orchestras, choirs, music directors. And as we will discover, the use of these resources in worship is set forth explicitly in the Old Testament, and they are affirmed, as I'll show you, in the New Testament. So let's look first at the Old Testament pattern, the Old Testament pattern of music in worship. Let's see how the people of God in the Old Testament, worshiped God when it came to music. Let's begin by looking at the elements of that music or the musical components. What exactly were those contributing components to their worship in music? First of all, there were musical instruments. In the Old Testament, it's clear that the people of God used musical instruments to worship God in their singing and in their music. Now, I'm sure that 
it predated this, but the first biblical record of instruments being used in worship is in Exodus 15, verse 20. It's after the defeat of Pharaoh and his armies at the Red Sea. It says, Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. And it goes on to say that Miriam and the women played the timbrel. That's like a handheld drum. As they sang the song of Moses and Israel, and they celebrated God's defeat of the armies of Pharaoh at the Red Sea. Instruments were used from that time forward, but it was really primarily under the influence and direction of David that instruments became an integral part of corporate worship, that is, of specifically of tabernacle worship. You remember David didn't build the temple. They were still using the tabernacle, the tent, and the temple would come under his son Solomon. But in tabernacle worship, instruments played a huge part. David, of course, was a musician himself. He played, he sang, he wrote songs. He also, and this may surprise you, invented several musical instruments. First Chronicles 23.5 refers to the instruments which David made for giving praise. Second Chronicles 7.6 speaks of the instruments of music to the Lord which King David had made for giving praise to the Lord. But, but David went beyond this. You remember that the Levites had been set apart by God's law to service the tabernacle. At the time of David, there were 38,000 Levites, descendants of Levi. David assigned 4,000 of them to be responsible for the music at the tabernacle, and later that continued at the temple his son Solomon built. Now, most of the 4,000 were instrumentalists. First Chronicles 15, 16, David spoke to the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their relatives, the singers, with instruments of music, harps, lyres, loud-sounding cymbals to raise sounds of joy. Turn back with me to First Chronicles. Look at First Chronicles chapter 23. We're going to see several things here in chapter 23 and then in chapter 25, so you can keep your finger here. First Chronicles 23, you'll notice verse 5. It says that of the Levites, 4,000 were appointed to be praising the Lord with the instruments which David made for giving praise. Now, when were they responsible to play and, and to use their instruments? We'll go down to verses 30 and 31. They were to stand every morning to thank and to praise the Lord, and likewise at evening, and to offer all burnt offerings to the Lord. Now, what this is saying is that daily, at the time of the morning and evening sacrifice, these instrumentalists were to play, and the singers were to sing. In addition to every day, verse 31 goes on to say, on the Sabbath, so every seventh day, the new moons, that's the celebrations that came monthly, and the fixed festivals in the numbers set by the ordinance concerning them. You say, wow, that sounds like all the time. Well, look at the end of verse 31, continually before the Lord. That's exactly 
how worship and music was to be led by these musicians. They were to lead in worship at the tabernacle and later at the temple every morning, every evening, every Sabbath, and every special feast day. They didn't all serve at once, but these chapters tell us that they served on a kind of rotating basis like the priests did as well. Now, what instruments did they use? Well, I don't think I need to argue this with you, but if you read First and Second Chronicles, you'll discover they used instruments from all of the categories of instruments. In terms of brass and wind, instruments are named trumpet, the ram's horn, the flute, and the pipe. When it comes to strings, you see the lyre, the harp, the ten strings, and the lute, all stringed instruments. Percussion, cymbals and different kinds of cymbals and sizes for different parts of the music and different ways to play, and timbrels. Timbrels, as I said before, were small drums. By the way, let me just say that all of those instruments I just named weren't special worship instruments. They were the musical instruments of ancient Israel. The same instruments were used to accompany both secular and worship music. Let me just make a point of application because some of you were raised in a setting where you thought there was a certain kind of music, a certain kind of instrument that was appropriate for worship and a certain kind that wasn't. Let me just say directly, there may be specific instruments you like and there may be some instruments you don't like, but biblically there are no instruments off limits in the worship of God. Trumpets and timpanis, violins and violas, mouth harps and marimbas, drums, guitars, and organs are all acceptable. So get it out of your mind that there's any kind of musical instrument that's forbidden or is somehow second class in the worship of God. What we're talking about here with these instruments, when you look at all of those categories, we're talking about what we would call an orchestra. That's really what's described here. So an orchestra was involved in the worship of God's people. In addition, worship was also led in the Old Testament pattern by choirs and vocalists. Choirs and vocalists. They were set apart from the congregation to lead in singing. And this was a prescribed part of Israel's worship. Of those 4,000 Levite musicians that David set apart, 288 of them constituted a huge choir. Look at 1 Chronicles 25. 1 Chronicles 25 and verse 6. All these were under the direction of their father to sing in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres for the service of the house of God. Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman were under the direction of the king. Their number who were trained in singing to the Lord with their relatives, all who were skillful, was 288. Now this choir that sang was composed of both men and women. Verse 5 says that Heman's 14 sons and three daughters were involved. That tells us that there were both men and women. In addition, in Ezra chapter 2, verse 65, much later in Israel's history, there the choir was composed of 200 male and female singers. Jewish historians tell us that no service of worship 
was celebrated in the temple without a minimum of 12 singers and 12 instrumentalists. There were choirs. There was a huge choir of almost 300 singers that sang regularly in the corporate worship of God's people. Now, let me just stop and say, right now in our contemporary evangelical culture, the larger Christian culture, choirs are out. I get that. That's true. But understand this, there have been choirs in worship for more than 3,000 years. In addition to that, even today, there are lots of choirs outside of churches. There's a choir in almost every school in our country. Choirs are not going to go away. I promise you, they'll be back and we'll be cool again. <laughs> Actually, we don't care whether we're cool. But I'm telling you that there have always been in the corporate worship of God's people a collection of voices trained to lead in worship, and that's never going to change. Everywhere there are orchestras and there are choirs, as there were in the Old Testament people of God, there will also be, as there were then, music and choir directors. God appointed music directors and choir directors to lead the musical element of the corporate worship. At the return of the Ark of the Covenant, Kenaniah was the leader of the singing. Look at, back at chapter 15, 1 Chronicles 15, and verse 22, you see his, his job and his qualifications. Kenaniah, chief of the Levites, was in charge of the singing. There's his job description. And he gave instruction in singing, and here's his qualification, because he was skillful. He had the necessary skills musically to accomplish this feat. Now, these things are unfolding in the time of David, around a thousand years before our Lord, a thousand B.C. Let's fast forward to the end of Old Testament history. Turn to Nehemiah. This is 600 years after David. 400 years before our Lord, the end of Old Testament history, and you'll see the same thing is happening. Nehemiah chapter 12 and the second half of verse 42, and the singers sang with Jezrahiah, their leader, and go down to verse 46, for in the days of David and Asaph, in ancient times, 600 years earlier, there were leaders of the singers, songs of praise, and hymns of thanksgiving to God. So in Nehemiah's time, 600 years after David, they recognized that these things have been neglected among the people of God, and they reinstitute the worship and music the same way that it had been under David and his direction. So whether you look at the time of David or you go 600 years farther along, you find that there were choirs and there was a music director, a music leader. Fifty-five of the Psalms begin with the phrase, for the choir director. And so there was an orchestra, there was a choir, and there was a music or choir director. But it wasn't just the choir director and the choir who sang 
they were all there for another purpose. Another key element of the worship of God in music was congregational singing. There were a variety of musical instruments. There were vocalists. There was a choir. There was a music director. But understand that those things were not David's idea. David didn't say, look, I'm, I'm a musician. I love music. We're going to do this because I like it. No, it came by divine command. The command for choirs, for instruments, and for a music director, all of these things were from the Lord. Turn back to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. This is later in Israel's history, during the time of Hezekiah. And as Hezekiah restores the worship in the temple, you'll notice in verse 25, he then stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with harps, and with lyres. Now watch the rest of this verse. According to the command of David and of Gad the king's seer and of Nathan the prophet, for because, here's why they did it, the command was from Yahweh through his prophets. Now don't misunderstand me. I am not yet saying that this is commanded today. What I am saying is that this was the Old Testament pattern, and the reason it was the Old Testament pattern wasn't because David dreamed it up. It was because God commanded it. Now, why? Why did all of these resources exist? They were all intended to encourage and support the singing of all of God's people. If you're still in 2 Chronicles 29... Look at verse 26, as Hezekiah institutes this reformation, verse 26 says, the Levites stood with the musical instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah gave the order to offer the burnt offering on the altar. When the burnt offering began, the song to the Lord also began with the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel, while the whole assembly worshiped the singers also sang, and the trumpets sounded. All of this continued until the burnt offering was finished. So understand that while the singers sang, while the choir sang, while the instruments played, the congregation of God's people sang praises to their God. Those are the musical components of Old Testament music and worship. There were instruments, there were choirs, vocalists, music directors, and there, were, there was congregational singing. Now, before we leave the Old Testament pattern, let's briefly consider the musician's requirements. In the Old Testament, to lead God's people in corporate worship and music, those participating had to meet some qualifications. And these may not be all of them, but these are certainly the three most prominent and important. First of all, they had to be true believers. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part seven of his series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. Tom will have part eight for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, Tom, what are practical ways that we as Christians can engage in corporate worship even if we don't play an instrument. You know, Bill, I think that's one of the saddest things that occurs in the church today, and that is we live in an audience mindset culture. 
And people come into the church thinking those people on the stage are here to perform and we're here to listen. But the truth is, one of the key elements in corporate worship in the Old Testament was congregational singing. So you don't have to play an instrument. You have an instrument, your voice. You can participate in worship by singing to the Lord. Second Chronicles 24 describes how when the people of God came together, they worshiped together by singing to the Lord. And they did that because God had commanded it. He required it of his people that they actively engage in congregational singing. And that is still true today, every Sunday when we gather. Thanks, Tom. And friend, in a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the word unleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the word unleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the word unleashed. We also invite you to visit the word unleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from the word unleashed. That's the word unleashed.org. You know, the Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Thank you.